Hello and welcome back to Yo, Youthful Take, it's, baby. Uh, season two, episode five. I'm pretty sure. Something like that. Is it impromptu news session? Impromptu. So Sam and I actually have our semi-formal for our school tonight. So uh, we're just gonna chat. We're just gonna have we're just a gonna, chat. We're gonna have a quick news Iowa section about and Iowa. The New Hampshire primary. Exactly, Sam. Yeah. Oh yeah, please. Well, let me just get right into it. So hit, this hit week, me. so this week, Donald Trump resounding victory in Iowa. Yeah, he won um, by what, like thirty points or something. I was, pr- I mean, the conservatives in Iowa are pretty conservative. Yeah, they're like, so it's yeah. not hugely surprising, but it was definitely a statement from him saying, "I'm still the guy for the Republican Party." Yeah. Um, now the only three uh, significant candidates that are still in it on the Republican side are, of course, Trump, and then Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis are still yeah. around. But Vivek dropped out, and he endorsed Trump. He, he of had course, had a nice fiery speech for Trump. Vivek. Um, he, he, uh. There are rumors that he might be the vice president. Well, yeah, I think he's just going or for he's, a, or he's, a cabinet position. Yeah, exactly. He's going for um, VP. That or, I feel or like that's always something. been his plan. And um, well, yeah, my I mean, take. Yeah. yeah, what's your take? Surprising, to sanctimonious second place finish here. I mean, barely. Uh, it was like barely, big. but yeah. I mean, I, I I think we're trying. We're seeing here that these hardcore evangelical Christians, conservatives, are liking. Uh, DeSantis and Trump, um, but now we're gonna next week we're traveling to New Hampshire to see that. Not Sam and I. I'm just saying in a in general, literally in a, stance. In a <sighs> stance. Um, um, so, but we're not gonna comment on New Hampshire yet because we have yeah. a sneak peek to next episode. We have a really no, cool but let's just talk about what's been happening recently with some of the candidates. In New okay, Hampshire. Sam, talk to me. Dean Phillips, our boy. We'll go more but, in, more in my, depth I, on I this next week. I might even say week. my idol. My idol. Wow. Um. He you recently received this. A just very, in Sam Greenberg's new right, role model right. is Dean Phillips. Uh, recently he received a huge um, a donation from Bill. I think his name is Bill Ackman for sure. Last name is Ackman, and Ack, uh, Ackman was recently in the news. He's a huge donor to Harvard. Um, he was responsible, partially responsible for uh, calling for Claudine Gay, Do- Claudine Gay's retirement as president of Harvard. So he's been in the news for that. He endorsed. Um, Phillips gave him an enormous donation, and that's pretty huge for him. And also, he's been rising in the polls like twenty to like twenty six percent, which is very interesting. Good for Dean. Great, yeah. Um, I think that kind of wraps up this news section today. Yeah, I just talked um, for a little while. The New Hampshire will go way more in depth next week because oh, we have a great special guest. We have an LA City Council candidate. Oh, today. Interview. Don't want to spoil today's. Get though. hyped. Get hyped. Come all right, on. That's all. Um, that's it. We'll see you at the interview. Uh, thanks yeah. for listening. See ya. All right. Uh, welcome to the interview. Sam, we are here with Ethan Weaver for today's interview. Besides being a deputy uh, city attorney, Mr. Weaver is currently running to be the representative for LA City Council District 4 against incumbent councilwoman, Raman, who we just uh, had as a guest on the podcast last episode. Um, he also graduated from UCLA Law and is now, as I said, a deputy city attorney. Uh, Mr. Weaver, welcome. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Um, first off, before we get into all the you know, meat and potatoes of it, what... Could you tell us exactly what a deputy city attorney is? Yeah, great question. So 
The city of Los Angeles obviously has a bunch of different legal needs, and the city attorney's office is the law firm for the city. And the work kind of falls into three main buckets. Um, one is the city attorney's office does all of the legal work, like files lawsuits, defends the city against lawsuits, does contracts, all of the things a big city would need. Mm -hmm. The city attorney's office also drafts all of the um, proposed new municipal code ordinances. Our city council writes laws, but the city attorney's office is the one that advises city agencies, helps write the laws, and each city department, from LAPD to sanitation to DWP, they all need their own legal counsel, so my office does that as well. And then the third bucket is um, the city attorney's office has jurisdiction over all misdemeanors um, committed in the city of Los Angeles. And misdemeanor is a crime that is punishable by less than one year. And the reason for that is there's a whole bunch of things like building codes, um, municipal codes, regulatory codes that um, a city can choose to enforce themselves. So I've been a prosecutor with the city attorney's office for eight years, and that's been both doing general misdemeanor crimes like DUIs, domestic violence, things like that, and also regulatory things like um, in one of my previous roles, I regulated all of the bars and nightclubs in Hollywood. Um, so it's a super large office that has a really diverse portfolio. Cool. Oh, interesting. Um, all right, Mr. Weaver, simple question. Why are you running for city council? So this was never part of my life trajectory. Uh, I went to law school to be a prosecutor. And uh, right out of law school, I became a prosecutor for the city attorney's office. Then five years ago, uh, I had a really cool opportunity to become what's called a neighborhood prosecutor. And a neighborhood prosecutor is a prosecutor that works out of the local police station in the community uh, every single day. And my job was to meet with community, meet with neighborhood councils, homeowner groups, business groups, or just any individual who was dealing with a quality of life problem that touched on public safety that no one else could solve. So like I mentioned, I re we saw huge spikes in crime coming out of certain nightclubs in Hollywood. Um, instead of going after the little guys, I went after the operators who were cutting corners and uh, breaking the rules which were generating the crime. I also cracked down on party houses up in the hills, especially during COVID when they were super spreader um, circumstances. Um, and then just weird things, like during the pandemic, a guy rented a two-bedroom rent-stabilized apartment, put 33 bunk beds in it, and turned it into a hostel. And every night there was drug use, fights, the police were going there every night, and no one knew how to solve that problem. And there were no evictions during COVID. So I came in, filed a case against him, found other locations that he was doing that, and shut him down. So that was my job work with the community, in the community, with the city council. And that's a huge deal because as you, I'm sure you guys have learned, uh, city council members are really important in delivering services to their community. Um, they're more impactful than the mayor's office in delivering services. And when I started my job five years ago as a neighborhood prosecutor, the council members I was working with at that time were incredibly high-functioning offices that really cared about constituent services. Mm -hmm. And them and their staff were partners with me in solving problems. Uh, but then three years ago when my opponent came in, it was very clear that she had no interest in working with us or working with the community. Mm -hmm. um, so just a great example is the, her field deputy who worked out of the station with us um, was the liaison to law enforcement, was an activist who was on YouTube saying, all cops are bastards, defund the police. And that was supposed to be her touch point to law enforcement.
But it wasn't just us, it was the surrounding community also that told me, the leaders I'd worked with for years were telling me, if our problem doesn't fit with the ideology of the incumbent, um, no one answers our calls. Mm -hmm. And so that was what realized, that's what made me realize we needed a change in direction. And the thing that really motivates me um, isn't just prosecution, it's public service. And I truly believe our public needs a better servant. Awesome. Um, okay, so to get more into the campaign, uh -huh. I guess, why District 4 this year? Why this specific seat, this specific year? Great question. So, uh, for starters, I live in District 4. I've lived in my current apartment for almost nine years. Um, and so as a neighborhood prosecutor, I both lived and worked in my community. Um, and I have seen the decline in District 4 in the um, in, th in the last three years. And it, the direction, not just of our district, but of our whole city is very, very concerning to me. I look at a city like San Francisco that is in free fall. Uh, people are leaving, the budget's in crisis, and their downtown is a ghost town. And I'm very, very concerned that Los Angeles is following in San Francisco's footsteps. And I realize that if we don't do something now, we might get to a place that will take tremendous pain and effort for us to get back on track. Mm -hmm. um, so when you're campaigning, how do you garner support? And who have you noticed is the your main support group currently? Yeah, so um, as given my background, I come at um, a problem like running for office mm -hmm. from a community-first approach. Uh, I have always thought that problem-solving and building support starts with the community and you work up from there. So. There's been, that's taken a whole bunch of different forms. One, it's working with um, groups like homeowners associations, neighborhood councils, building relationships with them, listening to their problems, and sharing my thoughts on how I would change things. Um, we do a tremendous amount of, of house party meet and greets. And what that is is someone will host an event, invite their friends and neighbors um, to hear me speak. And I mean, this in the next 20 days, I think we have 23 meet and greets on calendar. Um, and that's the best way to be active and present. And it's so important in the campaign, not just to talk at people, but to listen to what their needs are. This district is huge. It goes from Los Feliz, the Hollywood Hills, Studio City, Sherman Oaks, Encino, and a little part of Reseda. And that diverse community has tremendously diverse issues. And the only way to be an effective leader is to show up to the community, listen to their problems, and explain what you would do different. And so um, I think that's been the, the cornerstone of my approach, and it's been very, very successful. Um, so that's the, the field group. Um, I've also been very fortunate to have the support of groups that shouldn't normally support an outsider. Like I have the endorsement of the firefighters union, of the nurses union, um, of, of several nurses unions, of the Chamber of Commerce, of building trades and the labor unions. Um, and these are the same thing people are feeling in the community is what these institutions are feeling. Current leadership ignores them, they don't care about their problems, and they want to see a change. Yeah, to that point, um, so it's kind of unprecedented to see like the PPL, the Police Protective League, and the firemen and the nurses support a challenger mm -hmm. of an incumbent. So why do you think they support you and not Councilwoman Robin? Yeah, so I'll, I can just tell you what some of these groups told me. I, I met with one of the most important labor unions in the city 
and their leader told me, um, I couldn't pick Nithya Raman out of the lineup. I don't know who she is, she's never reached out to me, and we have no relationship. I met with another leader in the building trades that said that she reached that they reached out to her office four times for a meeting and never heard back. And these are important groups. Mm -hmm. And just that alone makes them motivated to see a change. But at the same time, the you know, groups like the groups like the firefighters, like the police, like nurses, their membership actually live in Los Angeles or want to live in Los Angeles. And they also feel a vested interest in the future of our city. And they see the path that we are on as a city as a whole, not just in CD4, and are very, very concerned. And they want leadership that takes problems like homelessness and public safety seriously in a way that the current leadership just isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so once again, another simple question. Why do you think you can win? So, that's a great question. So a couple different things. One is... Um, there is deep, deep dissatisfaction with the incumbent. Um, again, super diverse uh, district, and every community I go to, I said there is a tremendous anger and frustration with the status quo and with the specific current leadership. So I was working in the community when my opponent was elected three years ago. She beat an incumbent, and those the. Back then, there was kind of a malaise, kind of a, a <coughs> indifference around the incumbent that allowed her to win. Um, now we're in this district, we're not seeing malaise, we're seeing anger and, and frustration and an activation at the grassroots level that I've never seen before. Um, so that's, that's what I'm feeling on the ground. But then our polling, we've done a, a poll uh, conducted by one of the most reputable firm is in the state, one that the state Democratic Party uses regularly. And it showed not only that she deeply unpopular, but the top issues in our district are public safety and homelessness. And my experience as a neighborhood prosecutor uh, speaks to those issues in a really impactful way. Um, and that's resonating both on the ground and then, like I said, with institutional supporters that um, that know what it takes to govern and believe in my message. Cool, thank you for that. Um, so I looked at your website last night and I noticed that like two of your main priorities are homelessness and emergency services. Mm -hmm. So if elected, what are like, two to three things that you would like to achieve? Yeah, so let's start with homelessness, the mm -hmm. issue that's on everyone's mind. The city of Los Angeles is spending $1.3 billion a year on homelessness. And I have seen how that money is spent, and it is being horrifically mismanaged. And it, it all stems from a bureaucracy that is designed to fail. So let's get a little in the weeds, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, we can get a little nerdy. Um, so the, the Homeless Authority for Los Angeles, it's called LASA, Los Angeles Homeless Services Authority. It was created in 1994 as a settlement of a lawsuit between the city and the county. LASA is a joint city-county partnership that controls most of our homeless spending. But because it is a joint city-county partnership, it is accountable to neither. You ought to talk to your city council members and they'll say, oh, that's a LASA thing. I don't have any control over that. In fact, city council members will ask LASA, hey, how many people did you house at this encampment? Where did they go? What's the status? And this bureaucracy will look our electeds in the eye and say, we're not telling you. And if our city council members, if our electeds do not have 
a mechanism to compel a bureaucracy to do something, mm -hmm. then there's no accountability, there's no transparency, there's waste. So I believe we need to, the only way we're gonna get out of this problem is if we get control of the spending. Um, I believe we should do a phased withdrawal from LASA, set up a city agency that is actually accountable to our electeds, and then our electeds can't hide behind this bureaucratic jumbo and say, oh, I can't do anything about this. No, mm -hmm. the buck needs to stop with our electeds. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's priority number one. Uh, the, it's also, it's gonna take a long time to do, um, in the meantime, we need to manage this better problem better on our streets. People are losing faith in the city's ability to manage this problem. They feel compassion towards people experiencing homelessness, but deep anger and frustration about the sprawl and chaos of the encampments. And we, need, we can and we must manage that problem better. So that's, those are my thoughts in the homeless space. Great thoughts. Very good thoughts. And then in the public safety space, um, when I started as a neighborhood prosecutor, we had, LAPD had about 10,000 sworn officers. We are now getting close to 8,800 and that number keeps dropping. To put that number in perspective, NYPD, the New York Police Department, has 40,000 sworn officers. And think about the geographic difference between Manhattan and Los Angeles. We're a massive city. Mm -hmm. um, and what the result is, is response times to 911 calls is lower, and it's, create, it's putting a target on our back for crime. Mm -hmm. Encino has having record high numbers of burglaries, home burglaries, that happen in broad daylight. Uh, can you imagine being at home and having a burglar break in, and the burglar knows it's gonna take 20 minutes for the police respond, go ahead, call 911, I'll be gone by the time they show up. Those are the things we're struggling with. Um, I, I work with police and I, I ask them, why don't people want to be LAPD? And they say two things. One, why would someone want to work for LAPD when surrounding jurisdictions pay more than we do? Well, thankfully, the mayor recently negotiated a new budget and a new contract with the police to give officers pay parity with surrounding jurisdictions. My opponent voted against that contract. But those resources are now coming despite her no vote. The second thing they say is, um, why would we put ourselves in harm's way when our elected leaders are just waiting to throw us under the bus? And I've seen this. When I started as a neighborhood prosecutor, <coughs> um, the city council members had close working relationships with each LAPD captain in their area. They spoke on the phone regularly. They went to lunch together. They built a relationship. And that's so critical because, one, um, officers need to know that their elected leaders care about them. But two, there's a lot of tricky problems. Like we think about LAPD and policing as like, okay, armed robbery and guns and drugs and all of that. There's a lot of tricky problems that police have to deal with that aren't quite so black and white. Like what happens when um, gangs or drug dealers have taken over a homeless encampment? How do you deal with that? That's a very touchy, yeah. tricky issue. What happens when an encampment springs up around a school? Um, there's a law that prohibits encampments around schools. Again, my opponent voted against that. But you don't want to just arrest people and round them up. You have to be very subtle and nuanced with how you enforce those rules. That takes partnership and leadership. And if your council member is absent, then the police officers just say, I'm not touching that. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happened in CD4. Officers have backed off the issues that people feel the most on a day-to-day -day basis because they lack leadership. 
And my background working in a police station with LAPD puts me in a great position to provide that leadership. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jack and I, unfortunately, we cannot vote in the upcoming mm-hmm. elections. Uh, we have many friends that can. Uh-huh. So why should young people vote for you in CD4? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. So I see what is happening in our city as an inflection point on mm-hmm. where we are going as a city. We are laying the groundwork for the next 20 years of our city. And when you talk to your friends, it's a, the question is, what do you want Los Angeles to look like when not just when you're 18, but when you're 28 and when you're 38? So a big issue for me, I'm a millennial, um, is uh, housing, the cost of housing. Um, I'm a UCLA-educated attorney. Granted, I work for the city of Los Angeles, so we're paid a little less than private attorneys. But I live in a rent-controlled studio apartment with my party partner, Michael. And it's not because we love living in a studio. It's because the cost of housing is so much, it would take our a huge chunk of our, of our, our, our money to upgrade to a larger space. And so many of my friends are being priced out of the market as well. Building new housing is critical for our generation to bring down the cost of living so we can actually stay in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Uh, The biggest problem facing building new housing is a bureaucracy that is broken. I talk to everyone that's involved in housing, from the building trade, some of the unions that have endorsed me that build the housing, to to contractors that organize the housing, to developers and financers that provide the money to build the housing. And historically, these groups have, have been at odds. Usually labor doesn't like developers and there's tension there. All of these groups are supporting me because they all say the same thing. They refuse to work with the city of Los Angeles because the city bureaucracy is broken. From the day a developer buys a plot of land to the day they break ground is three to five years. And that time is extremely expensive and it's all created by government red tape. Um, And no one wants to actually tackle the broken bureaucracy. So that's a huge priority for me, um, is is breaking down the barriers to building new housing and building it where it is best suited for the community. We need to be building our housing along along high traffic corridors that have access to good quality mass transit. Because if we just build everywhere, um, we're just going to compound our traffic problems. Mm-hmm. We need to, uh, you know, for, for almost five years, I didn't own a car. I took the red line to work every day. Um, mass transit can work, but we need to build housing where it's best suited. And then we also need to invest in mass transit. So, so to your question, why should, uh, you know, Gen Z vote for me? Uh, because the challenges facing Gen Z are the challenges face, facing millennials as well. And it's one of the big reasons that I'm running for office. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Um, that kind of concludes the, uh, we'll say the serious part of the podcast. Uh-huh. We have a thing called the lightning round, which Sam will start us off with. It's just three easy questions, more like get to know you stuff. Great. So. All right. So what is your favorite restaurant? Anywhere in the world can be in CD4, ready? Favorite restaurant? Oh, that's a good question. Um, if I, <laughs> this, your, the reason I freeze up is the same problem when we order uh, like Postmates. I'm like, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't even know. <laughs> um, 
Probably one of my favorite restaurants is Casa Vega out in uh, Sherman Oaks. Mm-hmm. It's a legendary third generation Sherman Oaks establishment. The owner, Christy Vega, is a very good friend of mine. Um, and it's just that good classic, like Los Angeles Mexican food, mm-hmm. great margaritas, just a good time. Um, and like a little slice of uh, Valley history. Awesome. Um, what are your favorite sports team or teams, if you imagine? Okay, so you're you're asking a gay guy about sports, um, and uh, it's, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna flip the script around. Um, the 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 gay version of of sports just started. RuPaul's Drag Race. Oh, um, the, the new season just kicked off on Friday, um, and um, we'll be headed down towards the Super Bowl of drag at the end of that Ooh. season. So, okay. um, and I gotta say, if you if you've never been to a live watch party for um, for Drag Race. Um, it is, it's just like a Super Bowl party. It's awesome. a packed bar, crowd goes crazy. It's a fun time. So, uh, <laughs> that's, that's, awesome. that's my sport. <laughs> cool. Um, um Sam, to conclude, what is your favorite vacation spot in the world? Okay. This is, again, this is a little stereotypical, but I love Palm Springs uh-huh. mostly because life is very, very busy and stressful. And all I want in a vacation is to put me by a pool with a drink in my hand and leave me alone and let me just veg out. Yeah. Uh, that's all I want. Like, so it's either that or the beach. Um, but as long as I can just relax and be left alone, <laughs> that's what vacation's all about. Yeah. All right. That concludes that is this all. interview. Great. Thank you. Well, hey, Thank thanks so much for having me on the show, guys. I appreciate it. Of and course. Hey, if, uh, when, if and when I win, I'd love to come back. Hey. <laughs> I'm excited. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>
Bali. Alright. Okay, Greenberg, we get it. Zachary! Yep. What years yep. did George Washington or what years was he president? George Washington. Okay. George Good Washington. Question. I need to think about that for a sec. I know this. So seventeen eighty nine. Yep. Mm-hmm. To seventeen ninety seven. Yes! Bang! Bang! It's two one. Let's go, Zach. Let's go. Greenberg? Yep. Who's the current Prime Minister of England? Uh, Rishi Sunak. Yep. Rishi Sunak. Damn, that was easy. Rishi Sunak. Zach, Zach Zach's playing well. I'm, you're getting the easy ones. Zachary. I would have got both of Zach's questions, by the way. The Byzantine Empire was the continuation of which empire? Okay, get this, Zach. You gotta get this, Zach. Zach. All right. I'm gonna be really disappointed. Don't. I only get one guess, right? Yep. So, no, I'm, I'll give you two. No, I'm gonna go with... The Persian Empire. Mm-mm. Nope. The Roman Empire. Mm-hmm. The Roman Zach. Empire. Zach's a smart kid. Buddy, you that. you're not the host, buddy. Zach. Nope, Zach, it's I, I'm, I'm, it I'm is. visually disappointed. What is it? It's three to two. Zach, you got that. Sam Greenberg, who ran against George Bush in 2004? Who was the Democrat? There you go. All right, wait. <laughs> we got another tie on our hands, boys. Um, Let's pause the recording, and we'll be back with more questions in a moment. Hey guys, Jack here. Um, just want to give an update at the end of this game show. Uh, we recorded the sudden death match, but we still ended in a tie. <laughs> so we're going to push it to next week, and it's going to be worth triple the points. And hopefully we'll get Zach back on. But uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon.